I am grateful today to be able to say that this is a church that is accomplishing what God called us to do. However, I realize that there are churches around America that do struggle today. Uh, many of them simply because of the fact that they have been through uh, changes in their community. Some of them because the church itself has declined. They haven't done the things that need to be done. As a result, many of those churches have begun to uh, close. And as they close, you have other things that are cropping up in their place. You have churches that are now recreational centers. You have churches that have become... Um, uh, they, they've become restaurants, they've become even homes. We had a guy in our church in Pennsylvania, uh, the house that he lived in previously was a church. He used to brag that he only paid $5,000 for the house. And it's because it was really a church that he was able to then convert to his house. Um, I have a picture that's going to be on the screen behind me here of a church. This is actually a church from St. John the Baptist Church. It's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Just by looking at it, you can tell that it is a beautiful facility, beautiful stained glass windows, very traditional, very high church was, is a way that I would describe it. But this church is no longer a church. This church is now a bar. Uh, it's actually the uh, church brew is what it's called. And uh, basically this is a, a church that at some point became something that it was never really intended to be. The reality is that most of us would not like the idea of our churches becoming something that it wasn't intended to be. Um, I, I know that people visit a church often, and when they visit, they'll. Um, I've had individuals that sometimes they use foul language, and they'll respond to each other, and they'll say, "Whoa, you can't say that here because you're in church." I wonder how often that gets said at that bar, where that was a church at, at one point, and now it has become that bar. Nobody would like the idea of our church becoming something different from what it was intended to be. But far too often, what has happened is the church has become something that it wasn't really intended to be. Maybe not as extreme as that, but uh, often it has. Um, it would be distressing for us to see um, the temple or the church become something less godly. Uh, Jesus, as he entered the temple, nearing his time where he would be arrested and crucified, as he entered the temple, he saw people who were exchanging money. The, the church had become a place of business as opposed to a place of worship. Jesus becomes angry, actually makes a whip. And as he makes the whip, he then begins to drive all the animals and the, uh, the people who are buying and selling in the temple, drive them out. He even turns over the tables of the money changers. And you see that there's this sense of frustration because the church was not what it was intended to be. Uh, likewise, when the church becomes something it was never intended to be, you can count on the fact that it breaks the heart of God. Even today, God does not desire to see a church that is less than what it was supposed to be. We've been going through a series on the book of Revelation in our Sunday night Bible study. And as a part of it, we've been looking at uh, seven churches. These were real churches that existed during the time of Christ or the time shortly thereafter. And these are churches that many of them had a great heritage, a great foundation to think about where they came from. We would look and we would think to ourselves, man, that is going to be the church of tomorrow. A great example is found in Revelation chapter 2. It's the church at Ephesus. Um, and as the church of Ephesus is described, understand who they were. Um, there was a, uh, a letter by Paul to the Ephesians. That's the church in Ephesus. 
you have two letters to Timothy. Timothy was the pastor in Ephesus. So clearly there's a great foundation, a great love within that particular community. But something has happened by the time Revelation chapter 2 comes along. They are identified as having a great heritage, but then there is a problem that is addressed. We are told that they have lost their first love. You know, it is so easy for a church to become less than what it was intended to be and less than what it was when we started. So often it is not something that where we just wake up one morning and think, you know, what, we're not going to be the same church we were yesterday. But so often what happens is we gradually begin to lose the love that we once had. Know that it matters whether or not we truly are the church God called us to be. In each of those seven letters to the seven churches, there is a rebuke, but it is followed with a remedy. There's a way to fix the problem. And in each case, we are told that the answer is for the church to repent, to go back and do the things that they did at first. And I want to challenge you today as we begin to look. I had Richard read a passage earlier. I'm going to read it to you again. Uh, The reality is we live in a time where it would be so easy for us to just blend into society. But God has called us to be different, to be set apart. And maybe today we need to repent and start over. It matters whether or not we fulfill the purpose of God. And within our passage this morning, we will see at least four things that should be a part of the DNA of the church, should be a part of the DNA of each individual who is a child of God. If you would, I don't know if you have Bibles with you, but just listen or read along with me. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, it says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I'm going to tell you that often this passage has been used primarily to tell people go to church. Good idea. Everybody go to church. I'm glad you're here today. I hope you come back next Sunday. But I want you to see that there are more elements to this than just telling you you should come to church. The first thing that we see in this passage is that our hope must always be found in Jesus Christ. I think that deep down inside, everyone here knows that. Uh, But it's so easy for us to drift from the truth. It's easy for us to take our eyes off of our loving Savior. Biblically speaking, we see this in God's charge to Joshua. It's at the beginning of Joshua in Joshua 1 verse 7. He is told to be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you and do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. This passage this morning says that we are to hold unswervingly to our hope in Christ. It's this realization that we are weak people who can far too easily find ourselves drifting drifting from what God gave us 
in the first place. We drift from the purpose that he gave to us. In Joshua's case, he's not a young man, but he's in a new position. He's been a part of the people of Israel for 40 plus years as they wandered through the wilderness, but he's been Moses's right-hand man. And all of a sudden he's going to be the guy who's in charge. He's going to be the one who leads the people of Israel. Clearly, God wants them to be successful. He wants them to come in and take possession of this land and to experience incredible victory. But what God really wants is a people who will be faithful in their pursuit of him. That they would not turn from the law, either to the right or to the left. That they would hold unswervingly. I'm going to tell you that God still desires the same thing for his people. I believe God wants you to be successful. I believe that God wants you to be people who walk in incredible blessing. But I think more than that, God wants you to be a people who would pursue him, not turning to the right or to the left, but staying faithful all the way. That is God's greatest desire for you today. Our hope cannot be found in anything else, but it must be found in our pursuit of Jesus Christ. As we Consider that church in Ephesus, their problem was that they stopped doing that. They stopped being that church that pursued God with everything that they had and everything that they were. He was still a part of their lives. It wasn't as if they left him completely behind. He was still a part of their lives, but he became something where he just randomly was a part of their lives. You know, there's a moment of need, so now you call out to God for help. By the way, he's faithfully still be there for you during those times. But he doesn't want to just be a part of your life in the middle of crisis. He wants to be a part of your life all the time. So in order to avoid that, we must continually fix our eyes on him. As we do that, what happens is we will find that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves. Not only do we find that our hope is in Jesus Christ, but we also find that our help comes from within the body of Christ. We are not in this alone. There are others who are on this journey with us. There are other people who they're going through similar things. Some of the struggles that they have will be the same struggles that you have. And you may be able to help them. Who knows? Maybe they might be able to help you. Doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're not as strong as others. But the reality is we need each other. We need to find our help from within the body of Christ. This passage says to consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Of course, this is Valentine's Day week, so it makes sense that at some point we would look at this issue of love. Let me suggest to you that love is both a natural thing and also something to be learned. It is natural that when a young mother looks into the eyes of her newborn child, that she would naturally fall madly in love with that little child. Rarely does she need someone to tell her, you need to love this child. It's just something that happens. Likewise, for the child, that mother is the only individual that child knows, and that child finds peace and satisfaction, finds contentment in the voice of that mother or the soft touch of her hand. To that child, love comes very naturally in that moment. But the reality is there is a learned aspect of love also. 
You see, unfortunately, we live in a world where love has become skewed in so many different ways. We've had individuals, sometimes our parents, sometimes maybe our friends, maybe even a spouse, individuals who have really messed up our understanding of the word love. I would even imagine that if I were to ask people from, say, 20, 30 years ago to define love, their answer would be very different from those who would answer it today because our understanding has changed. But what I will tell you is this, love has not changed. Maybe our understanding has, but love is still love and it will always be the same. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7 gives us a great description, a great image of what love should look like. If you've attended a wedding, I will almost guarantee you, you have heard this passage read. This is what it says beginning in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And if you were to read the next few words of the verse 8, actually it summarizes it all for us. Love never fails. You know, a great way to evaluate love is to work through that list and ask yourselves, how am I doing? Maybe you say, well, I'm doing great at love is kind. Love is patient, maybe I'm not doing so good with it. What I want to challenge you with here is as we identify the love that God has for us, we should begin to reflect on that same love and begin to reflect that same love to the world around us. So look and see how you're doing in this issue of love. If you're genuinely loving people the way Christ loved them, all of these things will be present. Not just one or two or even most of them, but all of them will be present. Where you're weak, work on it. There are people around you, you say, well, I'm not really married, so this doesn't really apply. I don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend right now, so this doesn't apply. Yes, it does. You see, the love of Christ is not dependent on the strength of your relationship with a boy or a girl or a husband or a wife right now. The love of Christ is faithful. How are you doing in this issue of love? What does it look like for the church to spur one another on toward love and good deeds? Let me first say that it begins with personal discipleship. Disciples actually making other disciples. The more we become like Christ, the more we love like Christ, and the more we serve like Christ. So as we participate in discipleship with one another, we ought to naturally be able to help one another grow in love. I will say that when we talk about discipleship, it's much more than being a part of a discipleship program. I'm talking about discipleship relationships. Spend time loving other people and helping them to grow in Christ. Have you ever been with a couple that they were so much in love with each other that it made you just a little bit jealous because you wanted that same kind of love. If you've ever been in that position, I want you to know that it is possible to be in that same type of love relationship, but it won't happen by accident. 
look at those who are around you. And you can't do this if you're not in those discipleship type relationships. Look at the people around you and see their strengths and build off them. You grow because you're with them. You see someone else who, man, they are so encouraging. You begin to grow in your encouragement as well. You benefit from what you see in them, those relationships, so that you guys can make each other stronger. Same thing happens with love. Same thing happens with our walk with Christ. When you fall or when you're weak, know that the body of Christ is supposed to be there to help you get back up. We're not supposed to kick our brothers and sisters while they're down, but we're also not supposed to be content with leaving them while they're down. Lovingly offer your hand to help them get up and walk again. It's what the church is supposed to do. It's how we help one another. One last aspect of this is something that every group struggles with. We live in a culture of extremes. One way this shows up is in serving one another. Remember the call here is to love and to serve one another. Often, individuals would rather sit back and do nothing, leaving it for someone else to deal with. Others want to do everything, so much so that they feel threatened by the involvement of other people. If we are a church that truly helps one another, then we will need each other. We cannot do it on our own. That means that leaders must continually be about equipping and empowering others for service. And all of us are to look to see how we can be a part of the work God has for us. Actually, often I get new people that come and one of the statements I hear from almost every one of them, I want to serve but I don't want to step on anyone's toes. In other words, they know that maybe daily has been doing this for a long time. So the last thing they want to do is to encroach upon something that she's doing. I don't want to offend her because that's her job. I'm going to tell you, we are all here for a reason and we need each other. You're not here just to watch someone else serve. You are here to serve. What you bring to the table is something that this church needs, otherwise God wouldn't have brought you to this place. You're not allowed to get your feelings hurt if someone else steps on your toes. I confess there are times that I stand up and preach on Sunday morning, and there are times, not every time, but I actually hope I'm stepping on toes sometimes. Not because I don't like you, not because I'm mean, but sometimes we need someone to step on our toes a little bit. Well, we are all here for one reason, is to honor Christ. And if that's the case then use your gifts and abilities to do so. Don't worry about stepping on toes. It's just a part of people coming together and learning to live together and to work together. So we have our hope. We have our help. We also ought to have our habit of coming together. You know, not all habits are bad. There are some habits that we don't want to repeat. We see other people with bad habits. The last thing we want to do is to repeat some of those bad habits. But there can be really good habits too. We can have the habit of coming together and us actually uh, becoming a part of what it means to be a family. It ought to be our habit to be there for one another and to pick each other up. It ought to be our habit to make disciples and to, uh, to help fellow disciples to stay the course. It ought to become our second nature, our habit, so that we don't do things just because we're supposed to or because Pastor Mike's going to get up and preach on it. He's going to make us feel guilty for not doing it. We need to be the people God called us to be simply because, well, that's what we're supposed to do. 
and it becomes a part of who we are. And for so many of us, we have made church a ritual, an obligation, something that we just do every Sunday. For you guys, our service starts at 1130 here, so some of y'all, and hopefully it's not the case, but this is what most churches struggle with, well, it's 1130, so I'm supposed to be there. My wife expects me to be there. My mom expects me to be there. My kids need to be there. So we go out of obligation. What if you just came because you wanted to experience the presence of God? As they lead the worship, I get so excited sometimes. I hear the songs and I hear the words and there's this image in my mind and I don't know how accurate it is, but it's the way I worship and it's the way I see things when I worship. Picture God actually standing in front of us as we lift our voices and sometimes raise our hands and sometimes just close our eyes and sometimes we're just mouthing the words, but there he is in front of us and he is truly the center of our worship. What an incredible honor it is that on a regular basis we can come together and do that as one. Not because we have to, not because someone's going to guilt us into it down the road, but because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords chooses to inhabit the praises of his people. What an incredible honor for us. We get to celebrate the presence of God every single Sunday. And I, I love you guys all being here. Love hanging out and talking with y'all. I didn't get to do that much before the service today because of stuff over there. But I got to tell you, the reason I really come is for him. And I love the idea of getting help from the church. But what I really love is to be in the presence of a holy God. I know he dwells in me, so he's with me all the time anyways. From Sunday to Sunday, he is in my heart. And I know that. But when I come together and I am with others and we worship him, it's almost like, actually, I know it's not exactly the same, but in my mind, I almost picture Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 where he talks about the train of God's robe filling his temple with glory as the people shouted, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the image that I see. And I look and, and I'm not here because I have to. I'm here because I want to be in the presence of the Lord. And there are good habits for us be in the presence of God, to be able to come and to worship. And, and again, I told you at the beginning, I'm not telling you guys that this passage is taken out of context when the, the pastor stands up and tells you that you should come to church. Man, that's a great habit and you should come to church. It's good for you. But what I really want is for you to recognize that your hope is found in him. And when you fall madly in love with him, there is a natural byproduct. You're not alone in this journey, but you will want to be here or to be in church with your God because he is going to be there with you as well. I want to challenge you to be the church that the rest of the world can actually fall in love with. When you become a people that truly love God with all of your heart, the rest of the world will look at you and they will say, that's what we need as well. The last thing that we see here is we also have a home. Not here, but we have a home in heaven. We have something else that we look forward to. We know that there is coming a day where we will stand in front of our God and he will either say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You have, who have been faithful with a few things, I will give you much. Or he will say to us, away from me, for I never knew you. 
assuming that he knows us, which we've already talked about our hope being in him and finding our satisfaction solely in him, that means he won't say away from me for I ever knew you because we do know him. Truthfully, that is a day that we ought to look forward to with anticipation. The Apostle Paul said, I press on to take hold of that for which God has taken hold of me. Paul was a guy who, and we look at him as the greatest missionary of all time, but we're talking about a guy who he would give everything for God. And you would look and say, well, man, if there's someone who they are ready to meet God, it's Paul. Yet he said, I press on. It means his journey wasn't over. Let me suggest to you that we as a church need to press on and continually strive toward that goal that awaits us, which truly is the opportunity to be in the presence of an almighty God all the time. I was just talking earlier about how I love to worship. I love coming in here and I love being able to sing those songs. And there's this image in my mind of God standing in front. Well, do you know that when we reach our heavenly home, that it will no longer be my imagination that puts him standing right there in front of me. We will gather around a throne with people from every nation, every language in the world. People from generations, thousands of years ago, will all gather together and we will surround that throne and we will worship. Have you ever come to church and you get distracted by everybody else around you? You notice what people are wearing. You notice what they're doing. You notice how bad his hair is receding. You, you just start seeing all these other things. Sorry, Lee, I just looked at you at the last minute there. It came out, sorry. You, you look at all of these things. Now imagine being in the presence of God and absolutely none of that will matter. You will be in the presence of an almighty, holy God who created you and loved you so much that he would send his son to die for you. And in that place, you will find home. Man, streets of gold, pearly gates, all those saints from the past, no more sickness, no more death, no more crying, no more temptation. All those things are great. But what's going to satisfy you is the presence of God himself. I want to encourage you to be a part of the body of Christ, but know that this is all a dry run. This is all a rehearsal for what's going to take place in heaven. That's the home we look forward to. We're going to go ahead and close in prayer, but as we do, I want to challenge you and encourage you to truly be connected to the body of Christ. We need each other. We can encourage each other. There are times... And I desperately need someone like Jason that I can call and say, hey, you know what? I need you to pray for me today. I'm going through something that I struggle with. I need individuals that will walk alongside me and they don't even have to have me come and tell, come and ask for prayer, but rather they, they simply, they're already praying for me anyways, so they'll call and say, hey, how you doing today? Every one of us needs that. If you do not have a church home, if some of you guys, you're just coming, and, and by the way, that was not just intended for people who it's their first time here. But some of us have just been coming out of obligation, and it's not really a church home to us. It's just something to check off each week. 
Every one of us has the opportunity to truly be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And the body of Christ opens up that door. Is your hope truly found in Jesus Christ above all else? Do you find help from the body of Christ? Do you offer help to the body of Christ? Is being in church, being a part of the body, something that truly is a part of your life or just something that you do? Do you truly look forward to the home that he offers? If you would bow your heads and close your eyes on me. Father, as we come before you today, we know that we know that this relationship with you is an incredible blessing that we do not deserve. Lord, you have given us an incredible opportunity to know you and to experience you. Lord, may our hope be found in nothing but you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people who truly do fall in love with an almighty God. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be there for each other. Help us to connect with the church, to connect with the body of Christ, that we could encourage one another, that we could build each other up. Help us to be there to support one another when we are broken, to cry alongside each other, to laugh with each other, and to rejoice. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that would walk alongside one another, challenging and encouraging all along the way. Lord, I pray that you would make us a church that truly does become a reflection of you. Lord, I pray that this would be our heart, our habit, to be in your presence. Lord, help us not to be here because we have to, but because we really want to be here with you and your people. We look forward to the day that we are brought back together with you. But until that day comes, I pray that you would simply help us to walk in faithfulness, looking forward to that day which comes. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The worship team is going to lead in one last song as we close, and then after the song is over, uh, you guys will be free to go in peace.